Welcome to Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. So what are we talking about today, Sim? Today we're talking about risks and the risks involved with investing. Why do we want to do an entire podcast on it? It's a good question. When it comes to investments and the risks that you can take, it's really important to sort of understand exactly what those risks are so that you're a little bit more comfortable with what might you know come ahead. But also, and more importantly, understanding how much risk you're comfortable with taking and understanding that there's different levels of risk with different types of investments and you can actually tailor it so that you're only taking on as much risk as you're comfortable with and therefore you can just sleep easier at night. Yeah, and that's the key thing to understand, right? Like it is your choice and it is based on your comfort levels on what level of risk you do want to take. Should we start off with going into a little bit of the definition of what risk actually means? Basically, the definition of risk in finance is the degree of uncertainty or financial loss which is inherent to an investment decision. So it means every single investment decision has some level of risk. That doesn't mean every single investment decision is going to result in something going wrong, but everything has a little bit of a risk. You can take on more risk because there is a potential for more reward, which means that you might make a bigger profit, but you might also make a bigger loss. And on the flip side, you might be someone that's, you know, you're not that interested in taking such a huge risk. So you might take on less, but then as a result, you might not make as much, but that might just be what you're comfortable with. When it comes to women and risk-taking, we found some really interesting stats, and I think Sonia would love to take us through that. Some stats, they suggest that women were more likely to be a little bit more risk-adverse than men are. Maybe that's because we're just not taking the risks that we're supposed to be taking, and women are less likely to invest in riskier asset classes like shares and less likely to invest like their KiwiSaver money in the higher risk classes. But what the research does show is that when we do start investing and we do empower ourselves with knowledge and get more comfortable with what we're doing, we take more appropriate risks, that's when we tend to outperform men. That's really interesting and I think that we also saw on the flip side a completely different study that showed or sort of contested that and sort of questioned the idea that are women actually more risk adverse? Like are we naturally inclined to be on the safer side or is it more of a circumstantial situation? So the German Institute of Economic Research sort of followed the investment behavior of about 8,000 men and women. They did find that 38% of women invested in less risky investments such as stocks, like you were saying, compared to 45% of men. So they found that women, less women, were investing in risky asset classes, but they weren't convinced and they found that women would take more risk if they had more money. And when women have half of the money to invest compared to men, based on their study, they were like, well, women are just naturally more inclined to invest less risky when they have more to lose or they've got, you know, less playing money. And I think 
that kind of makes sense. So moving on, I really wanted to talk about the different types of risks that were involved in investing. So there's quite a few, but we're just going to break it down into four. So four biteable chunks. These are the four most common risks that you might come across as an investor if you're already investing or if you're interested in starting. And it just sort of puts you in the know about what to expect. So the first is business risk. It's pretty self-explanatory in the idea that if you invest in a company or a business, there's a risk that it might shut down tomorrow. There's a risk that, you know, something happens and, and they're not able to continue working. And when companies do go bankrupt, Investors are usually the last in line to get paid. So there's what we call common stockholders, which are when you invest in common stocks, which are sort of the normal day-to-days stocks for that company. And yeah, if that company has lots of debt and money that they owe to banks, like that money will go to the banks first. If there's anything left over, then investors sort of get their money back, quote unquote. But there's always a risk with that. And I think That is why you want to invest in companies that you understand and have a good understanding of their financial stress. Can you give us an example of like common stock? So yeah, so an example is Google. So Google has a number of different stocks. And if you search up like class A shares, that is a common stock that people like you and me can buy, which kind of has a one share to one vote structure. So when Google makes like a decision and asks their shareholders, what do you think? If you have one common stock, you kind of get one vote. But then they also have class B and C shares. Class C shares mean that they have no voting rights and class B shares are held by founders and I guess people that actually work for the company have been built it up. And so yeah, essentially it would make sense that if Google for some reason went, those class C shareholders would get paid first. So yeah, the next risk is volatility risk. Volatility risk just means the fluctuation in the stock markets, the day-to-day stock prices increasing and decreasing based on a number of things. For example, the company itself, if they suddenly have a faulty product or bad leadership, even things that no one really has control over like a political event, so elections, for example, or market events, or even investor confidence. And so it's a risk that you just have to accept that tomorrow, something out of your control might happen and your share price might drop. That's going to be interesting because you mentioned the elections coming up. It's going to be interesting to see how they impact certain investments, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Because New Zealand is having their election this year, but also America. And I think America's election definitely has a little bit more of an impact than the New Zealand election, (laughs) especially because a lot of the largest companies in the world are American-based. And yeah, it will be interesting to see what people think will happen and therefore if they invest more money or actually start taking their money out. The other type of risk is liquidity risk. So that essentially just means How easy is it for you to get access to your money in cash? So if you, for example, have a house and you want to sell it because you need the money, it can take months, if not almost a year, sometimes more, to have someone buy your house and transfer that money to you. And so you can't just get it the next day. So that sort of has poor, you know, ability to be liquid. Whereas 
you have stocks, it's not as long to get access to your money. And for example, the easiest would be just money in your bank account or a savings account that you could easily just transfer and use. So there was business risk, volatility risk, liquidity risk. And then the last one is concentration risk. And that's basically the risk of if you just invest in one company or in just a few, you're very much keeping all your eggs in one basket. So just say you have lots of money in Google or lots of money in Facebook. And for some crazy reason, the internet just isn't a thing anymore. Those are both internet-based companies and they're not spread across different industries. Or if you just invested in companies that made laptops and suddenly we all just moved over to tablets and laptops weren't a thing anymore, like that's that's on you. And you want to spread your risk across different industries and different sectors. Yeah, so those are essentially the four main risks. And by understanding what they are, you can kind of be ready for them, if that makes sense. Because we're all going to experience some form of risk. There's no such thing as an investment without a risk, but you can definitely be an informed investor. And that's a nice little segue into the next part of the conversation is understanding risk profiles and what your risk profile is. I'm going to break it down into three main types of risk profiles, but just be aware there's going to be degrees within those three profiles. So let's start off with conservative investing. So with conservative investing, you're investing more in bonds rather than stocks because they're less likely to fluctuate over time like stocks do. Just for our listeners that might have not listened to our podcast, stocks are little pieces of individual companies and that you buy and Based on the price, it goes up and down, like Sonia said, a little bit more frequently. And bonds are like you acting like the bank and the company kind of takes a loan from you in a way, to put it simply, and they pay you back sort of in a fixed interest way. So you sort of, you know what you're getting and it's very unlikely or at least less likely for you to not receive that. If you're looking at conservative investing the stocks that you do invest in they're more likely going to be well-established stocks or well-established companies sorry that have been around for ages really and they're less likely to go anywhere rather than investing in a or investing in a stock of like a new tech company that have just been around for like the past few years and they haven't had the chance to build their brand what would be an example of a company that's probably a little bit more on the conservative side. Companies like Coca-Cola, Google, they have established their brand. People know what they're about. They've been around for years and years and years, as opposed to investing in a company like Zoom, who hasn't been around as long. And so the likelihood of their stocks fluctuating has increased, right? Yeah. So conservative investing is where, you know, as we just touched on, you invest more in bonds rather than individual stocks. And when you are investing in stocks, they're going to be companies that have are well established. Yeah. We also call those blue chip stocks. It's just a jargon term to say well established companies. Yeah. 
Another type of risk profile is an aggressive one. So people might have heard, oh, they're real and aggressive investors. You're typically going to invest more in stocks rather than bonds. And I think the idea behind that is that you get higher returns. Oh, like the possibility of higher returns. Possibility of higher returns. Like my understanding is you've got stocks and bonds and the percentage of how much stock you have versus how much bond you have is sort of your investment strategy. Is that sort of what you mean? That's what I mean. I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about risk profiles, it's not necessarily the amount of money that you're putting into stocks or bonds or funds. It is where you're putting your money. So like the percent? Yeah, the percentage. So if we're talking about percentages, if you were an aggressive investor, just say 90% of your investments are in stocks, whereas 10% are going to be with bonds. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, you've got conservative investing where 80% or 80 to 90% is going to be bonds Mm -hmm. and then your 10% is going to be stocks. Third type of risk profile would be a more balanced or moderate profile. And to keep it simple, it is just a balance of the two that I just mentioned. So essentially taking a 50-50 approach. 50% of your investment are in stock, 50% are in bonds. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. I have heard a really neat little tidbit that if some people were like, well, okay, how much should I take on? The idea is that you put your bond percentage as your age. So if you're in your 20s, this is if you're investing for the long term, mind you. So if you're in your 20s investing for the long term, 20% bonds, 80% stocks. Whereas if you're maybe in your 40s or 50s and you're sort of getting closer to your retirement age or closer to an age where you want to pull out your money, you might be looking at like your 40, 50% bonds or even more. So I thought that was quite an interesting little way of, of considering it, but I don't think there's a right or wrong. I personally, and I'm comfortable sharing this, invest 100% in stocks because at this stage in my life, I know that I'm going to be investing for many years and I'm quite okay with a lot of risk. Like sometimes I see big jumps and big losses and that's just part of the ride and it doesn't affect me. Whereas I know that if I couldn't sleep well at night because I was like 
you know, X amount of money is temporarily down, that wouldn't be for me. And I don't think there's any shame in being more on the conservative side versus being on the more aggressive side. I think it comes down to what are you comfortable with? And as you were saying, it's interesting that we bring age into it and different, you know, life stages that everyone is in because just because you're an aggressive investor now, five, ten years down the track, you might not think the same because your situation has changed. So don't think, oh, I'm starting out and I'm going to be an aggressive investor for like my whole life. It's not necessarily the case. Your risk profile can change over time. And to be honest, it will change over time. I agree. Like every couple of years, just being like, well, you know, where am I at in life? What's important to me? Do I have dependents? Do I have kids? Do I need my money to be more stable? Versus, you know, am I sort of on my own and happy to ride out some ups and downs? In terms of the easiest way to understand what your investing style is, honestly, it's as simple as going into Google and typing in what is my investing style. There are multiple quizzes online and they ask you a lot of questions and then at the end you get yeah, a nice little summary of what risk profile that you hold at this point in time. I think it's also worth noting that when you understand what risks are out there and what risks you're comfortable with, you don't have to just leave it at that. There are ways to personally, on your own, increase and reduce risk on the things that you can control. So like I said, with the other risks like business risks and volatility risks, that's not necessarily in your control, but that doesn't mean we just sit back and say, cool, that's it. I guess I'll just take the L. There are ways to reduce your risk, including um, some of our favorites and some of the more well-known options, including what we call dollar cost averaging or DCA. Now, this probably won't be the first or the last time that we speak about dollar cost averaging. It's the idea that you don't want to necessarily put all your investing money in at the same time on the same day. So just say you have $1,000 and you are better off, statistically speaking, putting in that money over the course of a number of weeks and breaking it down. So say $100 a week or $200 a week rather than all at once. The thought process behind it is just say you want to buy some Google shares and you don't know because no one knows, is that Google share actually a little bit on the higher side and is it going to drop tomorrow? Or is it on the lower side and you're getting a good bargain and it's going to increase in price tomorrow? No one has a crystal ball to know what's going to happen. So to reduce your risk of not accidentally buying it too high, you invest a little bit over time and you sort of ride out the ups and downs. So some days or some weeks you might buy it when it's a little bit higher. Some weeks you might buy it when it's a little bit lower. And that sort of averages out your risk. Another way to reduce risk is something that we've talked about before. And again, like dollar cost averaging, something that we'll continue to talk about, but it is diversification. So just diversifying the stock that you do buy by spreading it across multiple companies, by investing in things like mutual funds and index funds, ETFs, where you don't have to even put in the brain power of picking individual 
stocks or companies just for the sake of diversifying, when you're buying into a fund, you're buying a little piece of multiple companies, right? Mm -hmm. That's very true. And I think the reason why diversification is important is no one really knows exactly what's going to really take off. I mean, we all can sort of speculate, but all it is is speculation or very like well-researched speculation. And no one really knows what's going to deplete. Like no one thought Blockbuster was going to go out of business and no one thought that this thing called Netflix was going to increase. And it's very hard to know what's going to happen unless you spend a lot of time trying to research. But again, that still is speculation. So diversification just helps with reducing, like Sonia said, your risk. Because realistically, no one has a glass ball about what's going to happen in the future. One other way that you can reduce risk, which is basically what we've just talked about earlier, is the idea of portfolio allocation. So working out what you're okay with, working out what your investing style is, and then appropriately allocating money into those things. So for example, working out that, you know what, actually I'm a conservative investor, so I'm going to put my money into 60% or 70% bonds and 30% stocks. And that is you reducing risk because you are essentially moving over some of the more heavier up and down fluctuations and you're sort of moving it into more conservative investments like bonds. There's also a kind of cool way to look at risks. So Morningstar, their website, they have risk ratings. You can look up publicly traded mutual funds or exchange traded funds. And they have almost like a star rating of how risky something is, one being sort of the worst and five being the best. It's not something you want to completely base your decisions on because you should never base your decisions on one source. But it's a nice little way to just, you know, just double check. On the flip side of that, there's obviously a few ways that you can increase your risk as well. One way would just be buying individual stocks. So buying an individual company stock that you've analyzed that is doing well, you put a little bit more grunt work into looking at their performance over the past, let's just say, five to 10 years. That's why it's a very conscious decision for you to invest in individual stock if you are looking to increase your risk, right? Another way to increase your risk when it comes to investing is day trading. So day trading is when you buy and sell shares quite quickly, for example, within a day, hence the name. So some people will make a living out of this. A lot of people, if not majority, make a loss out of this. Disclaimer. The idea is that you know, maybe Apple is selling at $100 this morning, you buy it and at the end of the day or like four o'clock it's selling at 150 and then you sell it and then you make a $50 profit. So it's very quick turnover. It requires a lot of sitting in front of your computer and watching the stocks and jumping in quickly and getting out quickly. And it's just risky because just the whole idea of it is you just sort of hoping and speculating and doing sort of technical analysis. That's the term for experience. Uh, sort of working out what's going to happen in the short term but it's just so risky and I there's a stat that I saw earlier it was like 90 plus percent of people lose in day trading this is an opinion my opinion not worth looking into unless you're really ready to dedicate a lot of time to it but it just to me personally is not worth it 
So to sum up this episode, we have talked about understanding risk versus reward. Sim went through understanding the four major risks that you might face when it comes to investing. So business risk, volatility risk, liquidity risk, and concentration risk. And then we went over your risk profiles and sort of what are out there and what you know might be best suited for you. So there was the conservative profile, the balanced profile, and the aggressive profile. And we've briefly touched on ways that you can reduce risk and also increase your risk as well. I think this episode, while in the initial stages of us creating this, we were kind of like, do we really need to do an entire episode on risk? Like, you know, people know that investing has risk, but I think the more we dived into it, the more we realized how important it was and how important empowering it was to sort of cover all the ground around or at least cover a lot of the ground around it so that when you do invest or if you already are investing you're investing with a lot of knowledge behind you you're investing with a very good understanding of what you're getting yourself into you're you're not just sort of jumping into the pool head first you're dipping your toes in and understanding what's involved and then going in more comfortably and more confidently. And I think when it comes to the whole idea of women are like more risk adverse and we're just, you know, more likely to be more scared or not as likely to jump in and take risks, I don't necessarily think that is the case. If you really think about it, only in the past century have women really had the opportunity to break down the barriers of the financial world When it comes to finances and household finances, it has been a constrained sort of experience for the generations before us. And I think now that we're having more access to information and more knowledge, we're able to be in a position where we can make those choices about how much risk we want to take. And it's our choice. And it's not a case of women are just less risky. It's, well, actually, everyone's different. How much risk do I want to take? what am I comfortable with and therefore what am I going to do? And take comfort in the fact that risk isn't just black and white. There's different layers to risk. And as Sim said, there's absolutely no shame in being a little bit more conservative. And there's on the flip side, if you do want to be aggressive off the bat, there shouldn't be any stigma around the different types of investing strategies or the different types of risk profiles. At the end of the day, It is just going to be a reflection on what feels right to you and you're making that decision for yourself and you're still getting your, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep in. You're not, (laughs) you're not stressing about the decisions that you've made about your money. Before we head off, just a couple of things. A huge thank you again to everyone that has been sending us messages on our Facebook group or within our Instagram, Girls That Invest. We have really appreciated all the feedback that we've been getting. We'd love, love, love if you listen on Apple Podcasts to leave a review. You know, let us know how we're doing and what you love and what you want to see more of. And yeah, I think Sonia will take us through our little exit now. So just a disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. 
Advice from girls that invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. All right. I think that's us. Okay, fam. Until next time. All right. See you.